let's see. Do they give it? I think it's supposed to give a little countdown somewhere. Maybe not. Nope. So, <laughs> so we're live. We're live. <laughs> Welcome to the Surviving Depression live stream and podcast. I have a guest and friend, a friend and guest, Samuel Bell Jr. Uh, Sam, my guy, he's a poet, writer, multimedia tech, and a graduate of Wilson Magnet High School and SUNY Brockport. Uh, he has his bachelor's degree in communication. He is a former news photographer at WROC News 8 and Time Warner Cable News, now Spectrum One News, and former writer, blogger for Bleacher Report. His, uh, his first poetry book, The Broken Race Dialect, Poems About Anarchy, is scheduled for release later this year. He has had extensive experience with the struggles of depression and anxiety and was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder several years ago. So thank you. Thank you, Sam, for coming on again. I've had Sam on before and we did a podcast uh, episode when I first first started and I, I had to have him on again. And this is a very important topic. We're talking about depression and black men and um yeah, this is just a, a really, really important topic, and I'm glad to have you on, Sam. And I really hope that we can get some questions from the, the listeners, too, which, you know, from time to time is hit or miss. But if you're out there listening, uh, it looks like there's about four people on right now. Please ask some questions, but I'm just going to kind of ask Sam some questions and then, um, you know, ask some questions and I'll try to get to them. But thank you again, Sam, for coming on, man. How you feeling? Thanks for having me, Carl. I really appreciate it, brother. Um, I'm feeling good. Uh, feeling good. You know, as good as I can at the moment. Uh, lots of lots of ups and downs, you know. Uh, after COVID and the school year and so many different inconsistencies, you know, this summer I've been really using it to just try and keep my head and and take care of myself emotionally, take care of my family, and kind of take my time, you know. For sure. It's been, it's been a year. Yeah. Sure. And we, we were able to connect like a couple of weeks ago, like go uh, connect, go to the park with the kids and stuff, the family, the wife and kids. And it was good. It was really good to see you, man. You know? Oh, you too, man. It was lots of fun, man. We have to that do was... it again. Oh, yeah. Yeah, most definitely, man. Um, So what? why don't we jump right into it? So you've kind of told this story before, but I think it's worth you know, kind of talking about again, uh, but, but what as a, as a, as a black man, as a young black, you know, teenager growing up inner city, uh, what was your experience like with depression just to kind of, you know, give the listeners an idea of, of what that was like? Well, the, the first thing, the, the immediate thought that I have when I think of depression and, and being a black man growing up in the city, right? The first thing I think is, is the stigma that's attached to it. And th that stigma is, it's weak, right? You're showing weakness. And that's, the, I, I believe that's the biggest, the biggest thing that comes with depression in, in the inner city as a black man. And I mean, I mean, I say the inner city because that's where I'm from. I'm sure it's not just the inner city, but right. it's very prominent in the inner city that you're not depressed. What's wrong with you, right? What's your yeah. problem? 
you know, right. just, just get over it. You know, it, it's not a big deal, you know, the things of that nature. And those things really, it not only stunts the growth in terms of emotions, but it also makes people not trust their own feelings, right? It makes people go into denial about how they really feel. And I think that that has serious repercussions that extend beyond just what what's being said at the moment or how you feel at the moment. I think that all of those things play into how we grow up and become adults and kind of how we handle issues that emotional maturity gets, gets stunted. And when you become a teenager, now you're suppressing emotions. You don't know how to express yourself. You're angry. You, you have impulse control issues. You know, you, you start going into the ills of life and society because you need an outlet. And that outlet shouldn't be necessary if those emotions were cultivated properly from the beginning. So that is really like, for me, how it always felt, you know, growing up, I experienced anxiety at a very young age. Mm. And anxiety and depression are, are sisters for a reason. So I would have anxiety and not understand why. No one listened to what was going on. So I look inside of myself and I didn't know enough. So then I, I became frustrated and angry and sad about it and it became depression. So that's that's my experiences with it. Wow. Man, that those so many gems you dropped just now, man, like that there's and as you said, there's so many repercussions, right? Because if you're if you're told that you're weak and you don't want to appear weak or be perceived as weak to other people around you, you have to then suppress or somehow cover up and ignore those feelings that do not go away. Like you're just suppressing them, as you said, and they have to come out some way and they will come out some way and what way they come out can be very detrimental, right? Whether it's anger or uh, sadness, suicide, killing someone, fighting someone, stabbing someone, dropping out of school, like it's it's going to manifest itself in some way, right? Yep, absolutely. And and so I think the last time we talked, you you told a really, I think, impactful and powerful story about um, when you were on the basketball team and how like that was for you. And I think that was just such a wonderful story, not not in the sense of the pain you went through, but just kind of shedding light on how um, how inner city black teens in particular were, you know, kind of taunting you and teasing you for feeling these awful feelings of anxiety and depression. Right. Yes. Uh that remains to this day, you know, and, and I believe that, you know, certain people would still laugh at me about it. The fact that now I'm an adult, a mature adult, that, that I'm able to express how I feel and not worry about repercussions, right? So I, I don't need to appear cool or I don't have to play that strong, you know, I'm a strong black man game. I don't have to play that. I know who I am. So, right. you know, now reflecting on that, of course, there's a lot of things that when we become adults, we're like, man, why did I take it the way I did? But it's because I was young, impressionable, immature, and quite frankly, I was scared, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, that story is, it, it started, it was JV, JV basketball. 
<laughs> and I was, you know, I was pretty decent. Still, I'm a pretty decent basketball player. So, <laughs> I, you know, I still have it a little bit, but I always had problems controlling. And I mentioned this earlier, talking about impulse control, right? And impulse control issues stem from unchecked emotions or emotions that people feel like they have to suppress. And that and it comes out in different ways. That's one of the things that causes impulse control. So by that point, I had been suppressing how I felt my entire life. So the thing is about anxiety is it doesn't choose victims and it doesn't choose, it, it doesn't pick people based on anything. And it can happen at any time. So on the way to a game, and it was a game I wasn't even playing in, mm-hmm. I, I made the team. I was brought up from freshmen. And I was coming to the game to kind of observe and, and see how they did things, kind of integrate. Sorry if you hear my, my son. Oh, it's all good. Yeah, sorry. It's all right. But, uh, so I was, like, going to integrate myself into, you know, to the team and things of that nature. So we're driving on the bus, and everything was fine. I, was, I wasn't even really that nervous. And I know no one believed me because they connected me having anxiety to the game. But that was an easy, which people do. They create easy narratives based on, like, the stream of consciousness that doesn't usually apply, right? Mm. So it wasn't a game, the game that caused this for me because I wasn't playing in it. It was just it. Carl, you you've had you know anxiety and depression, and you you know you you understand. Oh yeah, it doesn't choose its time, right? Nope. So nope. it wasn't based on anything other than that's just when it appeared. So right. we were driving, and suddenly, like it, it really hit me like a wave, man, that I never felt in my life. It, it mm. went from normal sitting on the bus to oh my god, I need to get out of here. I don't know why I need to get out of here. I don't know where I'm going. And I don't know what's happening to me, right? But I know that I can't just sit here. This isn't, I don't feel right. right. So you start, you go into fight or flight mode and you start trying to convince yourself nothing's wrong, what's happening to me, but you know something's wrong. So as we're driving, it's becoming more noticeable because anyone who's had a panic attack, you know, when they first start to come on, you know, you get the sweaty palms and sweat everywhere. And mm. Your heart starts to race. Yep. So then, you know, you start looking around. You start, like, not knowing what's happening, getting fidgety. So all of this is happening. And everybody on the bus is kind of quiet in game mode. So the kid sitting next to me finally took notice and looked at me. And he's like, you okay? Mm. And, of course, I'm going to tell him, sure, yes, I'm okay, right? I'm fine. But I wasn't. So a couple minutes later, it's getting worse. And now I'm like standing up on the bus and then sitting back down because I'm just so, at this point, I'm in a panic attack. Mm. So he's like, dude, like, what's wrong with you? So we're pulling up to the school at this point, luckily, because if we had much longer to go, they would have had to stop the bus. Right. But we were pulling up to the school and I thought, okay, I'm getting off the bus. Maybe I just need the fresh air. So we get outside and, you know, I'm trying to calm myself down and we get inside of the gym and that didn't help. Didn't help much at all. At this point, fight or flight was 100% on. So now I'm like walking around really fast, like very, very panicked. So now everybody's taking notice and they're like, dude, what's your problem? Right. So a couple of guys on the team 
start pointing and like, look at Sam, you know, what's wrong with this guy? Mm-hmm. And like, so now the embarrassment creeps in. So not only am I having a panic attack for the first time in my entire life, and I don't know what's happening to me because I didn't know what a panic attack was. They don't talk about that to black kids in the city. You don't talk about panic attacks. Right. So I had no idea what was happening to me. I thought I was having a heart attack. I'm like, dude, I'm 15 years old. Why am I having a heart attack? Mm. So I was scared. And everybody at that point was pointing and laughing at me. So the coach was like, dude, like, do you need an ambulance? Like, like really? What's wrong with you, bro? Mm. And I'm like, can you just call my dad? So can I just interrupt? So like, it sounds like the coach's attitude was very similar to the the players to some extent, or or was it? Oh yeah, it was. Yeah, it was the same. It was the same thing, and it, it, it's those stigmas we live by in this country. You know, like it's it's the same ideology because the same right. people who are the kids who are behaving in this way, where do they see this behavior, right? Yeah. Where, where was it taught? Yeah. And there's a culture, as we all know in sports, it still prevails to this day. I, yeah. I think that we're starting to get more attention and more light shed on mental health awareness and issues, which is a beautiful thing. Right. Uh, Simone Biles got drawn through the coals by people because yeah. she was strong enough to say, I'm not feeling well right now and Mm. I need to do something about this. Yes. And that touched, touched me when I saw that because I immediately, immediately went in my mind to what happened to me. And I said, Oh, she's human. She's a human being. What do you know? Right. You know what I mean? (laughs) Right. And so, and people were, there were, of course she had more support than she ever would have had 30 years ago. Right. But, there was still people dragging her through the coals, you know, yep. oh, she's weak. She's weak minded. Look at this. Olympic. She let her, she let her weak. team down. She let her team down. She quit, you know, all of these different things. And then when she came back in the last event, well, how'd she do that? If she was so this and, and it's like, Oh my goodness, you take mental health days from work from your $40,000 a year job. And you want to talk about an Olympian on the biggest stage who was one more medals than I believe any other gymnast, a proverbial champion, and she needs a moment, and you right. have the nerve to drag her through the cold. <laughs> you know? Preach, bro. Preach. It, it's So it's, it tells you it doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't. So on a much more micro scale, that's what was happening to me. And I don't think Simone Biles' withdrawal had anything to do with the competition. No. She dominated that sport for how long? Right. It's not about the competition. Not at all. I'm no Simone Biles. Right. But, you know, I wasn't about the competition. That's just the moment that the anxiety chose me to to use me in that way. And there was nothing I could do about it. It was going to pass. Simone Biles even came out recently and said how how competitive she is and how in every single situation she'd never back down. And she wasn't even going to back down in this situation, but her mental health had gotten to the point to where it was so bad. She said, guys, I have to, you guys know me. I don't back down from any challenge. I'm competitive. That's why she's where she is now, right? She's extremely talented and extremely driven. So why would she at that point, it's not like someone 
was better than her out there where she was scared or something. It was like, look, I'm I'm in a league of my own. And this gives me the really gives me the a little bit more of the freedom to say, look, what do I have to prove to anyone right now? I need to take care of my mental health, you know. Absolutely. And so there's there's one there's a couple of things you said, Max. You keep saying some really great things, but one of the, I think like this this makes me really want to um this this is why I do what I do with the you know surviving depression and stuff like that and counseling and trying to do free workshops in the city sometimes because the awareness of like you mentioned, like I didn't know what a panic attack was. Like kids in the inner city don't hear about panic attacks, right? I mean, kids in general probably don't hear about it, but kids in the inner city aren't hearing about mental health and education around it. And so that's a big thing, right? Educating inner city black kids about mental illness um, and the reality of it and that you could really have it. Um, but then the other thing you mentioned was like the, um, you know, how people were kind of trying to normalize or or trying to kind of diagnose you in a way that was healthy. Like, um, and when I say healthy, I mean, like, given normal circumstance for your anxiety, like you must be nervous because it's the game. So kind of writing you off and just saying, that's what it must be. So I don't have to address it anymore. It's not a big deal. You're making a big deal out of it. It's not a big deal. You're just dealing with that because there's not enough education around. Well, wait a minute. What if it's more than that? You know what I mean? <laughs> and so it's it's not just the game. It's not, this is more than that. My heart is beating out of my chest. I feel imminent death. You know what I mean? So that education, and then I think also, really informing people to not give like these um cookie cutter trite answers like we we need some real encouragement and well thought out uh possibilities around what's going on you know what i mean right so, so yeah you raised some really good points but did you i can't remember did you end up going to the hospital after that incident i did so mm -hmm. they said we'll call your dad in the ambulance uh, you think you need both of them, but it wasn't said in a supportive way. Like, oh my God, let's get you some help. It was more like, yeah, dude, you somebody needs to come get you type of deal because we don't know what to do with you. And it's like one part of it. It's like, okay, I get it. You know, you have a game going on, and you have this kid freaking out. You have no idea why. So I understand that aspect of it, right? But at the same time, like, you know, I'm a human being. And at that moment, I clearly was in need of support. I was in need of support and help. And I, that was the last thing I received. At, you know, when the panic attack got really bad, I started getting lightheaded. And I was, I, I can't explain to you, Carl, how scared I was. I really, I, I mean, I thought it was over. I'm yeah. not joking. Yep. So to look at the other side of this group of, of guys that, you know, some were, you know, my friends, right. That were supposed to be, you know, people I'm friends with things that nature I grew up with pointing and laughing. Literally they were laughing at me. Like, mm. like it was the funniest joke they ever seen in their life. Yeah. So it, it's just, I, I can't, man, I, it, it was it's really, it was a heroin experience, man. So, 
the ambulance came and my dad got there at about the same time. And he, you know, what, what's wrong with you? And so he thought that I was having some kind of heart. He, he thought the same thing. So when we got to the hospital and they, they started checking me, you know, but before that even happened, one of the nurses was a guy that I knew that uh, I used to go to school with. He was an intern at the hospital. So he comes up to me and he's like, oh, man, are you OK? Like, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, I'm not. Right. So uh, they ended up checking me out and everything and told me you, you had a severe panic attack. Mm. What happened? And, you know, they they happened. The doctor was far more understanding than anybody else had been to that point. I remember that. And he said, mm. you know. It happens. You probably have a lot of things on your mind, you know, some things on your plate, and you probably should see a counselor. Right. And my dad was like, you know, you don't need to see a counselor. Like, just, you're fine type of deal. You're okay. And it was right back to that, you know, you're just fine. After I just went through this excruciating panic attack that had an origin, it happened for a reason. But instead of exploring that, it's what, you know, black men, that's our culture. You don't explore that kind of thing. You just let it go. Right. Yeah. And that's how that went. Wow. We don't have several more. Mm. And and I, I said this in our last conversation, man, but can you just think, I mean, we both have sons, right? Like, could you imagine our 15-year-old when they're when they are 15 years old going through something like that and and just i mean i'm sure by that time they'll have way more support than we ever did but man just um like i mean you already know because you went through it but man 15 years old kids probably now going through it still uh in silence because there's no education around it but 15 years old, seven years old, I come across a lot of kids that I work with and have worked with. And it's just awful if you have no idea what's going on on top of people around you that have no idea what's going on. That's terrifying, man. You know, and then they're making light of it and making you feel bad for having that condition and that circumstance happen to you, making you feel like, it's your fault. It's something wrong with you and not coming alongside you and supporting you. It's just, it's so hard to hear, man. And I just can't think of the millions of 15 and under and in grown men and women who are just dealing with these things, man. You know, so. Absolutely. I heard that, that experience earned me a nickname too. that followed me through high school and they started calling me scared Sam. Wow. So to go on top of, going through that experience and the embarrassment because yeah, it was definitely embarrassing. And to then be called the rest of my high school career or whatever you want to schooling, I was nicknamed scared Sam. Anytime wow. we, you know, I'd go to play basketball. I would, they'd be like, Oh, here comes scared Sam. Wow. And, and, and it's really brutal. You know, right. when, you, when you think about it, people ask me, I say, you know, they say, how was high school for you? uh brutal yeah <laughs> you know and well why well i was called yeah. scared sam that didn't right happen, you know yeah and i mean go ahead i'm sorry but people just don't understand the amount 
of like those type of thing. Oh, you're a wimp, you're weak, you know. And it's like people don't understand how they that don't. kind of stuff feels. You know what I mean? They just don't. They they don't. And I I told you we talked before, man. You know because we, you know, for the listeners who who don't know, you know, Sam and I we we went to uh, college together. We we uh, had a portion of school together. We went to MCC, and we both, unbeknownst to us transferred to Brockport and finished up our school um, at Brockport together, our undergrad. And, you know, I've talked to you before, Sam, about my panic attack too, man, and, and my depression. And I often say, man, I, I just wish that people just for one week can experience what depression or anxiety or any mental illness is like just for a week and see what it's like, man. And it is a nightmare. It is an absolute nightmare. I'm not talking about feeling sad i'm talking about feeling like you want to die and not enjoying things and not being able to sleep and having full-on panic attacks where you feel like life is escaping your grip <laughs> like people and and you know i would i i i i i was at a um a wellness fair in penfield one time i i set up just to kind of get more clients and you know kind of give some information about my practice and there's a bunch of white construction workers, you know, strong, strong looking guys look rough around the edges. And I, I saw one of these guys, he came up to my table and I, I told him, like, look, man, as men, you know, we deal with some stuff, too. And I really just want to spread education around this. And if you're going through some stuff, you know, I really like to talk to you because I've been through it, too. And I think. I have to tell people that I've been through this and I want to tell people that I've been through it because if I don't, then they think, you know, okay, I'm not going to open up to this guy. So I'm like, yo, I suffer big time. Then they're like, oh, okay, well, if he suffered and he's okay talking about it, maybe I can't. All that to say, I, I said to this guy, you know, I told him my story and I said, I'd love to help you or anybody else. And um, he said, yeah, I know I got issues, but. I'm, I'm kind of just not going to deal with it. I'm just, I'm not. And it was essentially, my impression was, I'm I'm tough. I'm a man. I just got to kind of fight through it. And it's like, dude, that is a dangerous game to play. And I tried to, you know, say, look, man, if you change your mind, let's talk. But I just see that with, you know, if you look at like, even like in the, in the hood, in the ghetto, you know, you got these guys who grew up in really rough situations, you know, for my family, we grew up in extreme poverty. We didn't grow, grow up in a ton of violence, but we grew up in a ton of poverty. But you see these guys who have to take care of themselves a lot of times in their families. And they have this macho-ness that they have to keep up. And it and I just wonder how many people are suffering out there that's that's in gangs or who's selling drugs or just who's out in the streets man like they have no knowledge of what it is and if they do have knowledge of it they don't want to address it because then they'll be called weak you know or you're not a man or you're crazy you know oh, or you're yeah, too that's, emotional that's the big stigma carl is you know you touched on a lot of good points there and I, that stands out to me is the whole you're crazy right that is thrown around way too frequently in the black community. 
and I heard that a lot growing up because I was considered different, you know, because I didn't participate in a lot of the activities that guys from the neighborhood were participating in. I didn't like to, to get into conflict. I tried to avoid it at all costs. I like to compete and have fun, but I didn't take it to the level, right, that some, some guys do. And I didn't, you know, do petty crimes or I, I didn't get in that type of, I, mean, I was never like that. I was always the one that would say, nah, I'll, I'll stay home. That was always what I did. So I was always, I like to, to write and, and write poetry and, you know, just the way I carried myself, you know, I got called crazy a lot by even my own. I talk about this in my, my novel that I haven't released yet. It's finished, but. Oh, uh, yeah. I can't wait for that. Uh, well, yeah, that's, it's a I'm promoting that like crazy. Yo, wait till it come I, out. You're like, yo, he, he act like he wrote the book. So <laughs> I, <laughs> I definitely touch on on that. The whole being called crazy. You know, it, it really I heard that a lot. You're, you know, my own parents, you know, mm. you're crazy. That's crazy. You know, it, what, what's wrong with you? And it, it's it really like not only does it make you feel dejected, but it, it disconnects you from your from your family and your community. And I think that that also leads to a lot of pain for young black men growing up is they they, they feel disconnected. They that trust versus mistrust. They don't trust their own, you know, family or they don't trust emotionally people around them in the very same household as them. So it's difficult to then trust themselves to know what decisions to make mm -hmm. and, and how not to always be looking to, to appease themselves or, or be or narcissistically, you know, look at things for themselves. But then right. also when they get out into the community, they have no regard for others and things of that nature. And I think a lot of that really does stem with when you're growing up as a child, how people accept your emotions. Do they do they re reject you emotionally or do they accept you emotionally? Do people mm. encourage you to foster independence or do they encourage you to to deny your own feelings? And wow. I think those things play a big part in how kids grow up. And then when they become adults, they struggle because they don't know how to emotionally be just be. You know what I mean? They don't know how to express themselves. Wow. And I can say that that definitely I had no identity. When I became 18, 19, I was a hodgepodge of all kinds of things that I saw and heard. I, there was no Sam. Any Anyone who knew me at 19 didn't know me. Mm. So. Wow. And here's the thing, man. Like, I've said this before, and I think it would be probably the most powerful thing single-handedly that could happen to black inner city community is if there were more first of all if there were more black therapists and second of all if we were somehow able to educate millions of black youth about emotional intelligence and how to express your emotions well and how to identify uh who you are as a person and what you're comfortable with and could you imagine, like, let's let's not, not the justice system, not the school system, 
But if healthcare just provided black therapists or if black therapists in private practice linked up the all all five of us in Rochester, <laughs> like because there's not a lot, right? And was just like, how can we educate all the black youth in Rochester about mental health? And and then they were able to like use these skills practically, what that would do regarding crime, suspensions, uh, violence, all that. Like it would comprehensively change a portion of our city for the better. Just for people, just for kids struggling to understand their identity and their emotions, if they're able to grip that and understand that, what a positive change it would make for them, you know, and nationwide or worldwide, what it would do for for all youth, you know, but, you know, specifically black youth, um, it would just it would be amazing, man. I feel, you know, someone someone asked a question on Facebook on make sure I get to it. Someone said when dealing with trust issues from a traumatic childhood, how would you suggest dealing with or overcoming that problem? Well, I mean, for me, what I would say is I, I think you have to go into counseling. Like, I think as a whole, Black people don't see counseling as valuable for many reasons. One of them is I think sometimes there's a lack of trust with healthcare professionals. Uh, some some Blacks don't trust white providers or feel like they can't relate to them. I get a lot of calls from Black um, clients saying, hey, I want a Black counselor. I can't take them on because I'm full. And then there's only two other Black people, two other Black therapists in Rochester, maybe more, but not a lot. And so then they don't know, they don't want to go to anyone else. So there's trust issues. And, and then there's the stigma of I want to be strong or I can't be weak or I don't want to be crazy or feel crazy or sound crazy. So I would say you got to get into therapy at some point if you want to deal with trauma because there there's no family members or friends a lot of times who are skilled at dealing with people's trauma. Like you're not, your trauma is not going to get addressed on Facebook like these the, I love I love people on Facebook, but these aren't trained professionals like you need a trained professional, white or black. And that's what I tell some of my clients. Like, look, if you can't get a black counselor, start with a white one. Like they're trained. They they know what they're doing. Like just build a rapport with them. And if you if you build a strong rapport with them then go with them until you find a black therapist, but don't just say, well, I ain't going until I find a black therapist. Right. So find a therapist, find a therapist. I'd say, and I agree with that wholeheartedly. I'll say this when it comes to the the race aspect in terms of who you're speaking with, I, I think that there's a level of importance to being able to, to talk to someone that you, you can kind of see yourself in. But that doesn't necessarily have to be someone black. And the reason why I say that is for me, in my experience, I've never spoken to a black counselor, not uh, other than you, <laughs> but <laughs> not on, uh, on a, that pro- professional type client relationship. Right. But my counselor is white and he is a member of the LGBTQ plus community. And he was a godsend 
I mean, he was an awesome counselor. He was, he, he helped me a lot. Mm. And, you know, over COVID, I went through another bout of anxiety, my anxiety disorder. You know, I wasn't eating. I went through a pretty serious bout and he coached me through that. So I'll say this to, to kind of kill two birds with one stone here to also answer the question that was asked is I feel like when you're a child before you can, because you're unlikely to get recommended to counselors and things of that nature from your family. That's why you don't trust emotionally. So I'd say a big thing is, is finding an outlet, a safe outlet. And for me, that safe outlet became writing and, and sports and sports in a way, not for the competitive. I want to be in the NBA or NFL. You know, I feel like in the inner city because systemic inequalities and all types of different things, a lot of black children feel like they have to, to strive to be a professional athlete if they want to make it yeah. or a professional, you know, a rapper or something like that. And no, you don't. You don't need to do that. You can play basketball for, and have fun with it. You don't have to worry about going to the NFL, NBA, or so. For me, I never really cared about that. It was it was just fun, right? And it was a way for me to to discover myself. When I got on a basketball court, I can discover myself. I could immerse myself into it, and I have to worry, especially when I did it alone. I played lots of basketball by myself because mm. it was a way I can get into my head and kind of control myself. And then I started to write and it, it builds a lot of confidence in you when you find something that you like to do and you do it on your own unprompted. Yes. There's, there's a level of, of it's empowering, empowering. Yes. So I'd say that like, that is a big way to kind of deal with some of that, that trauma of emotionally being denied by your own family is then going into yourself and finding ways to, to be creative or find ways to empower yourself. Mm. And then as you become an adult and you get older, then you can discover, be open and discover counseling and things of that nature on your own. Yeah. So I'd say try to follow positive people who talk about positive things. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Instead of following the, the negative and, all those types of, uh, it's like now I don't even certain music I, I listened to when I was 14 it's like man like that's ridiculous I shouldn't have been right. listening to that because it didn't do anything for me emotionally but pushed me towards you know a lifestyle that was glorified that yeah. didn't do anybody any good right yeah so Absolutely. I, I think that those are good ways to go about it absolutely that's that is that's fantastic, man. And um, uh, I want to give a shout out to Patrick Jackman, man. Patrick is the guy, yo. Patrick of of Jackman, um, he's uh, he's a he's a just a wonderful uh, businessman, business owner, uh, great guy. I look up to him. But uh, just give a shout out to Patrick because he uh, made a comment. Um, but uh, Sam, uh, before we wrap up, man, I want to. I want to know a little bit more about your book. Uh, could you tell us the title again and then just kind of tell us what we can expect when it comes out at the end of the year? Absolutely. So uh, I have two books that are pretty much done, but the one that I want to release, 
first and released this year. Uh, it's a poetry compilation, the broken race dialect, poems about anarchy. And what it's talking about is digging into more of those, more of the systemic things in this country politically and like the systems that have festered and been allowed to fester in this country that has led to so many people feeling disenfranchised, you know, not just black people, it's, it, but also there's a, there's a plethora of white people, Hispanic people, Asian people. I mean, we can talk about, go to any culture, right? Any race that feel disenfranchised. And it's really not a race thing as much as it's a class thing, right? And mm -hmm. people have let the government and different things split them along all of these partisan lines. But what they're forgetting is that they're human beings and we all need the same things to survive. We all have emotional issues. We all have financial issues. If you're not the top few percent, right? We all want our kids to, to have good lives and things of that nature. So this poetry book is about trying to shed light on all of these different systemic issues, right? And yeah. all of the different games and tricks that the top 1% is playing on all of us citizens to make us quarrel with each other over silly things when at the end of the day we need to band together and we need to try to realize that this is more of a class war it's not a race war mm. you know and like we look at the insurrection on the january 6th and everybody wants to, to break that down into racial terms but the fact is is it was a bunch of disenfranchised white people that mm. are frustrated with life you understand what right. i'm saying and yeah so they had a reason for what they did it may not have been the greatest reason but under all of it, it's the same systemic issues that have led a lot of people down this road where they're barely surviving and barely can pay their rent. Right. Absolutely. So that's really what the poetry book is about. It's really, really heavy material. So sounds I, I good. Think that it's, it's definitely pertinent in this, in this issues that, that need to be heard and talked about. Yeah, for sure. I can't wait for it. And like I said, man, I'm going to. I'm going to promote it, man. And I can't wait for the, the book signing and social media posts, whatever it is, man. I'm excited for it to come out, man. And so um, do you have a time frame for it? Uh, my, my main thing is I want to make sure it's out before the year's up. Before okay. January 1st, 2022. Gotcha. So uh, we I've could expect had a problem. it right. by the end of the year. I've okay. Got a problem releasing projects, and this okay. one I said no, I, I can't let this one just sit. And by the way, good job on your book too. You survived. Oh, thank depression. you, brother. I, so I bought it because I'm going to support you, and I read it. So yeah, I appreciate it, man. That was that that little book took a lot of brain power because it was just like a lot of emotions, a lot of reflecting, going through journals, and you know, I wrote a few poems that. too. You know, you and so I love, book. I love. Love writing, man. It's a great outlet. Poetry, you know, reading, writing, uh, singing, whatever, you know. Uh, but um, one one more thing before we go, man. I I gotta get this in. I wanted to get in with a a little bit of a fun thing, and that's uh, I know you're a big Cowboys fan. You know, I'm a big Bills fan. I kind of wanted to ask I like you, the like, Bills what? Too. Oh yeah, that is right. That's your second favorite team. That's second true. Favorite. So what's so what is your prediction? Like how do you how do you see the season going for the Cowboys and for the Bills? 
Well, I think anytime you talk about the NFL, right, the first thing you have to discuss is injuries. And I think yeah. that that nothing derails the NFL team's season faster than injuries, as we witnessed last year with Dak Prescott. Uh, the Bills were incredibly healthy last year. And so I think that every NFL team is talented and stacked. But it's all about injury. and Well, except the Texans, right? Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, there's a lot of stuff going on. Remember there. it used to be the Browns? It used to be the Browns and the Bills. And, like, yep. now – now they were that's why i thought the world was going to end because the browns and the bills were doing good and that never happens now it's like yeah. the the texans are the worst team like what in the world like, well that happened so and that shows you the the fragility of of nfl you know success right yeah uh, the texans were just in josh allen's first playoff game i believe it was yeah what two years ago or so right against the bills and yeah deshaun watson looked like superman in that game yeah. And really was responsible for sending Buffalo home. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you look now, and I mean, I won't even delve at all into what's going on with Deshaun Watson, but God. the Texans are completely discombobulated. And the Bills now are looking like a proverbial favorite, right? They're looking like, you know, over the last couple of years and now this year, they're starting to look like. AFC East beast right now. So who right. would have thought, you know, Tom Brady going to, to Tampa Bay and just the way things have played out. The NFL is like the greatest reality show of all time. So, I mean, we have to talk about injuries first. If Dak Prescott stays healthy, I think Dallas has a, a good shot. I mean, we need Zeke Elliott to, to look like Zeke Elliott that we drafted. He needs Freaky to stop putting the ball on the floor, you know, on the field, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, I like what we have at receiver. I like Gallup. I think he's a good player. I think he's going to be a good player. I love C.D. Lamb. I think the kids are starting to make him. Uh, I like what we have. I think uh, Leighton Van Der Esch is back. Uh, if he doesn't get injured because he gets hurt a lot, but he's a really good player. I like DeMarcus. He needs to get back to himself. I think that we have a, a really – we have a good squad. So if, if, every, if everybody's healthy, would you project – Cowboys going to the playoffs? Absolutely. I think we win the NFC East. I gotcha. think we finish the season 12 and 5, somewhere around there, if if we don't have serious injuries to, to big, you know, players like a Dak or, yeah. or, yeah. or something like that. But I think that I see NFC East championship for sure. Okay. I, you know what? Listen, I I when I follow the Cowboys, I follow them because of you. And so oh, I'm going to keep an eye on him and, you know, look, because when Dak went down, I was like, dang, I know Sam is hurting right now. Oh, you know? bro, I'll be but, honest with you, man. Like, it, 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 I put a tear in my eye, man. Just yeah. Not just the injury itself, but knowing what it meant for him in a contract yes. type of year and, you know, him going off the field in tears. I, I, yeah. I think Dak Prescott is is class personified. I love the yes. guy. He, so, he, uh, he dealt with some mental health issues, too. He did, and yeah. you know, he was strong enough in a sport like football, right? To, to step up, you know, him and and I love how he was joined by, uh, I believe it was JJ Watt who got in on it, Hayden Hurst, the yeah. tight end, yep. Uh, a couple other guys got in with him and, and supported him, and I thought that was awesome. That was awesome. Uh, Kevin Love jumped in it from the NBA. Yeah. Uh, Michael Phelps. Yep. So that was like, amazing. It was big, and it helped me. Yeah. I read Michael Phelps. Uh, he did an op-ed 
and I read his article about his mental health issues, and mm. that helped me too because it's like yeah. this guy is a is an Olympic champion, all of the pressure, and to be able to express himself the way he did, I, I thought that was amazing. They're doing That's so amazing. much for for mental health awareness and just making sure that men understand that we matter, and yeah. you know. We at the end of the day, like we we're strong and we matter, right? And our emotions matter. Yep. So that's a that's a great way to to end the the live stream, man. Um, I want to thank you again for jumping on for the people out there. Somebody in the comment section had the nerve to say, "Let's go, Dallas." <laughs> so, uh, good. You know what? Right. Listen, listen, I I I support Dallas because. My guy Sam likes them, you know what I mean? So, so you know, I hope they do well, you know. Um, but thank you, Sam. Thank you for uh, whoever joined tonight or in, and whoever listens to this later. Uh, Sam brings a lot of wisdom, man. And, you know, we just want to bring awareness to people out there and especially to the black community. And so um, thank you, Sam. And uh, thank you, everybody, for joining the Surviving Depression podcast and uh, live stream. Uh, have a good night. Thanks for having me on, Carl. I appreciate you, bro. Keep doing what you're doing. Absolutely.